0: We have been talking about circular economy for so many years and now we have to get down to business and do it. And I think as governments, we really need to get our act together because you can see that businesses are moving ahead. And even individuals, people are moving ahead. They are saying we can't just you know, waste everything. We need to see waste as a resource and use waste as a resource.
1: Annika Markovic, the Swedish ambassador to the Netherlands, has a message for us all there is no time to waste it's time we start looking at waste differently It's all about the
0: mindset that if a product has been used before it's not you know inferior to new products and you can see that from you know the younger generation that they are looking at for example secondhand clothing as something cool so the perception is changing, but we can only change that if we also go all the way, you know, through all the generations and, and, and make it happen.
1: You're listening to Swedish Brains, the podcast about Swedish personalities, priorities and values, brought to you by the Swedish Embassy in the Netherlands. Swedish Brains is produced by Captains, digital media and creative production agency.
2: Welcome to the Nordic Circular Economy Summit. It's really amazing to see so many changemakers keen to accelerate circular economy in one room. My name is Andrea Orsak. I'm a co-founder of Mission C. We're a strategy advisory firm based out of Amsterdam. And our mission is also to help accelerating circular economy and their transition towards it.
1: This second episode of Swedish Brains tells you all about the circular economy, recorded at Nordic Talks a collaboration between the Nordic embassies and the Nordic chambers of commerce in the Netherlands, highlighting topics of common interest. Thank
2: you so much for supporting this event and everyone, please welcome.
1: The circular economy certainly is a topic of common interest. In the upcoming 30 minutes, you'll be hearing from expert speakers about numbers, challenges, solutions and concerns. And hopefully their call to action will spark a love for the circular in you too.
2: Welcome to Swedish Brains. Why are we talking about a circular economy? As maybe of you probably know, we know that we need to limit the greenhouse gas emissions. And we know it's absolutely crucial to move towards renewable energy. However, renewable energy can help us to decrease those emissions by 55%. The big question is, what do we do with the other half? And now we also know that the majority of those emissions, the other half, is linked precisely to the extraction of the resources, to the production of all those products we are using on a daily basis, and also to creation of the waste. And that's exactly what we have to figure out. That's why we have decided that the focus of this event will be from waste to resource. How we can really figure out, now in the linear economy, Creating something really of added value of all this waste that nowadays still exists. I'm very happy to call on stage our very first guest, Harold Friedel, who's currently the advisor of Circle Economy, actually, the ex CEO of Circle Economy, and who's also one of those lucky people who were in Davos. Harold, welcome. Very nice to Mm, have you here. (laughs)
3: Thank (laughs)
2: you. So we can very nicely comfortable maybe sit down and I still do have a couple of questions for you before we get into the highlights of circular economy gap report that was launched. So I know you were actually here last year, Harold was the last speaker during the last uh, Nordic Circle Economy Summit and that's why I'm sure you also did quite a lot of actions when it comes to circular economy personally. What is one thing you would like to share with us? What did you change after the last year's event?
3: Uh, a couple of things. So one uh, for the kids, only secondhand toys. That's an easy one for me. Uh, it's actually very difficult and annoying that you have to always search if it's available, but that was a, a good one. It's interesting also to think about beha- behavioral change with your own kids. Two uh, really change to secondhand clothing for myself uh, only. Um, but here, the shoes I'm wearing this is a good example, I think, finding more and more good, sustainable circular products. I'm going to launch next week an online crowdsourcing for what are the circular products actually that we can trust. A lot of talk out there, and I haven't found such a list, so I want to establish it. And three, go around and try to convince many people. Um, What we did at our last event is try to always bring to such events one person who doesn't believe, who is a disbeliever, one person outside of the bubble, because I see many familiar faces, and I hope uh, there are many, many skeptical people here that actually don't believe what I'm saying. Uh, or don't believe what you are saying, and so we can extend the circles and make sure that this message is, being, uh, is reaching more people. I think that's an important one for all of us to always name uh, the difficult issues because there is no more time for fluff.
1: Last January, Harald Friedel presented his Circularity Gap Report at the World Economic Forum's annual meeting in Davos, revealing disappointing, if not alarming, figures. While the world is consuming over 100 billion tons of resources a year, only 8.6% of those resources ends up being reused or recycled. A step back from last year's report, Friedel
3: says. So that means still we are going into the wrong direction. And when you take into account that these are numbers, because we don't have better data available at the moment, not us, but the global community doesn't, that this is still based on 2017 data, I would assume that next year's report still doesn't point in the right direction, which, in the time when we have to actually reduce our global greenhouse gas emissions, is really dramatic news and not a good thing to talk about. And the 100 billion tons is the yearly extraction that we see in terms of materials that is, uh, that, uh, is being used to fuel our economic system. And it's still, this is growing, growing, growing at the moment because we haven't, there are many nice initiatives, but not big enough yet to, to really stop that trend.
1: The GAP report shows that no country is doing well enough. As the report describes it, some countries operate well within the ecological boundaries of our planet, but without satisfying basic social needs. Other countries do fulfill societal needs, but do so by overshooting the sustainable means of the planet. Therefore, all countries are developing.
3: Uh, This is in no way meant negative, but in a shocking way. Nobody in this world is running a country that actually behaves in a way that we should have when you look at the sustainability of the planet. And I think we all should uh, take away uh, this message, and I the Nordic countries has, together with Holland, been very, very um, um, advancing on this agenda and really trying to push that uh, envelope further, but just not enough is happening. I think that's the message to all of us that we shouldn't forget. The really exciting thing is what we have started last year, that we are translating this message also in, in, in national agendas. So what does it mean? We started with my home country, Austria. We are continuing with Norway at the moment. We have India in the pipeline, Canada. How an individual country can use this kind of metrics, can use this methodology to see what are the biggest intervention points so we can achieve change. That's always the background to this. We don't want to finger point, but we want to show what are the avenues for change. Circular economy often is this hoo-hoo, wah-wah thing, but it's not. You can break it down into very actionable pieces. Um, but it's, it's always a very sad piece of work when we know we're walking this thing in the wrong direction and the need for change is, is, uh, is, is growing so fast. But it's possible. That's what we want to always say. It's possible if we take action now.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, I'm very happy to hear that there is still this kind of like a drop of hope. And indeed, that's what we have to hold on into. Yeah. And thank you so much for sharing the highlights. I mean, it's obviously very clear that we're not there and a lot needs to be done. And to move forward, definitely, regulation will help. Thank you so much for being here with us. The right regulation, we always
3: The right regulation. The right regulation.
2: Yeah. Thanks, Harold. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>
1: The stakes are high, and so are ambitions, as the plans for a European Green Deal illustrate.
4: The European Green Deal is Europe's new growth strategy. We have to act now.
3: The European Commission has prepared three concrete actions that will offer a strong basis for the New Deal.
4: I want Europe to become the first climate-neutral continent in the world by 2050.
3: Real benefits include zero pollution, affordable and secure energy, smarter transport, and high-quality food. This will mean new jobs, a cleaner environment, and a better quality of life for people.
1: We
4: Europeans are ready.
2: You know, talking about the regulation and talking about the right regulation, we are going to zoom into European Union. And I think many people working within the field of circular economy, companies that are currently in the transition, are curious to hear what is indeed happening at the level of the European Union.
1: In December 2019, the Green Deal was presented, which aims for a climate-neutral Europe in 2050. I was happy to uh, listen to uh, President von der Leyen in
5: the uh, presentation that you uh, showed earlier, where she clearly announced as well it's
1: a growth strategy. Sarah Nehle is Deputy Head of Cabinet of Executive Vice President Frans Timmermans of the European Commission. This is an agenda where
5: we see potential, where we want to give steer to investments in Europe and to businesses to go along that vision. Um, however, let's not act as if it's all uh, rosy and uh, just uh, we'll all make money out of it. No. Um, a transition is having people who gain, but also people who lose. And the thousands of miners still working in coal mines in Europe are a good example of this. And this is also why there's a lot of attention in the Green Deal to have this transition done in a fair and just way and providing support for the whole sectors in our economy that will have to shift and where a lot of jobs are currently happening and where we will have to help those workers to reskill and to choose jobs for their children as well in the future that will be different. And that's not an easy thing.
1: Sarah Nehle explains that the Green Deal ties together solutions for three interlinked crises. Climate, biodiversity and last but not least, resources. Um, Since the 1970s,
5: our um, global population has doubled and global GDP has grown fourfold, which has brought, let's face that as well, a lot of well-being for many people around the world and middle classes growing. But it also has limits in terms of resource extraction. It's clear that um, projections in a business-as-usual way is that um, our resources use will um, double in the next 40 years. Plastics uh, will, um, in the next 20 years, double. This is completely unsustainable. Especially as you know that the resource extraction and processing of materials um, is making up about half of the global greenhouse gas emissions, Um, and more than 90% of biodiversity loss and water stress, showing indeed the interlinkedness of all of these problems. Um, therefore, it's clear that circularity, resources use, have to be put at the center also of our climate policies. We're not going to get there without real improvements there. And that is why, under the Green Deal, we will come with a new Circular Economy Action Plan. We need to um, step up efforts and really look at material use, reuse materials and more prevention of uh, waste and less materials reducing reducing and reusing before recycling this is what be what will be at the core of a next circular economy action plan and to get there we have to rethink what our products are made of and how we produce. How can we make sure that our products are made more durable, more reusable, more designed for recycling, etc. So we're working hard on that and we will also have priority products because, of course, you can regulate uh, you can announce to regulate all products of the world, but uh, that's a bit ambitious. You have to start somewhere and perhaps, uh, although it's early days and although this is not confirmed, but Textiles will definitely be one of the elements. i um, happy to hear that before uh, one of the intentions was uh, secondhand clothing. My kids don't do anything but that anymore. It's very trendy. Too. We call it secondhand, they call it vintage. Um, so this is um, really what is speaking to younger, younger generations and what is really needed. Textiles being the fourth highest pressure category for use of primary raw materials before um, food, housing and transport, and the fifth in terms of greenhouse gases. So we could even say that textiles might be uh, the new plastic, and the focus on that will be very important in, um, in our new initiatives. ICT, obviously, the materials in there. So the importance there of recycling as well, but also durable design, uh, also in a digital, the twin challenge of digital and green uh, will be important and uh, greening of data centers and everything will be part of our strategy. These are just a few highlights. There will be much more on offer. Um, I can't offer it to you today, but I will encourage you to um, work with us on it once we have the strategy on the table, because it will be a huge uh, challenge ahead, but a very important one. And it's a positive agenda, and um, let's uh, work together on it in the next years to come. Thanks a lot.
1: on the European level a lot is happening. But what about local governments? Swedish ambassador Annika Markovic is hopeful.
2: I think governments
0: are trying, but I think that governments are reluctant to um, to try to change people's behavior in a very straightforward way. They would like to do the nudging, no? trying to get people to move. Um, by, by changing taxation, for example, or, or giving incentives to change your behavior. But they don't want to be prescriptive and to you know, dictate what should be done and what should not be done. Uh, but regulation is also important, and, and there I think governments have been working for a long time to try to set up the right framework of regulatory measures to steer companies and, and people in the right direction. And what is important now is that it is also happening on the European u- Union level, because when we can do it together as the European Union, then we can really change things.
1: Meanwhile, the younger generation's entrepreneurs are eager to make a change like Jos van Veken, who makes beer from leftover bread. You seem quite young to have a, your own company.
6: Yeah, I'm also a student, so uh, it's next to my study, and uh, I'm 22. So uh, yeah, it's totally true, I'm young <laughs> in that way, yeah. We help companies in the transition to the circular economy, so with their waste flown, but mostly, why is there waste flown? So before, so not only recycling, but really circular economy. And when you see that there is really a change in the company, and mostly in, with the CEO or whatever else, can be 21 or, or 45, doesn't matter, but it's really, uh, it gives you a kick to, to see people changing. Uh, yeah, you get this really kick.
1: Or Christian van Mare, who owns a dating site for industries and their leftover materials.
7: Well, I think one of the great things about the circular economy and perhaps about the whole, and I'm just going to tie these things together, the um, sort of the climate change challenge that we're currently in, is that, I mean, it, it does pose a great sort of threat to. Humankind and maybe to society as we run it today. But it's also been a wonderful way to rally uh, like minded people to do things differently. And an event like this, where literally uh, different countries come together to talk about how we can do things differently, is a showcase of that. So I would say, in a, in a, in a world where the divide is getting bigger and bigger, or so it appears, in certain countries or regions in this world. The circular economy and maybe sustainability as a as a larger theme is also bringing people together and maybe in a way forcing or uh, inspiring people to get a bit closer to get their differences out of the way and start working together to, towards a better future.
2: So now we went from the global overview through like what's happening at a level of the European Union also And now, because the event is called Nordic Circular Economy Summit, we invited also people who are with their companies, front runners when it comes to circular economy, to share very practical examples. And now, indeed, there have been quite some discussions. Waste resource. How is recycling still a part of a circular economy? Because the fact is, what we could hear from Harald, we're not there yet. Circular economy, we could also call it um, opportunity of 90%, because it's less than 10% of resources that are actually really further utilized. Majority of them really ends as a waste. And now, all of those companies that we are going to be hearing about came out with a solution how something, what would be normally called the waste, without any value, turns into added value.
6: In
1: Sweden, a waste company founded all the way back in 1881 has found a way to turn wastewater into a resource.
6: Yes, my name is Paolo Chance. I'm head of sustainability and public affairs for Rangsel's group.
1: Paint me a picture of what is it that you do to take a kilo of waste and so what do you do with it? Do you put it into a machine? What do you do?
6: From the sludge that after incineration we separate all the different kinds of substances so what's not been able to use today is the heavy metals and that's 0.3 percent of the total contents we extract the phosphorus we extract the aluminium we extract the iron directly can be bought back because it's a it's the highest quality in the world then the sand is a leftover that can be used to replace concrete so the only thing that we can't use today is the heavy metals but tomorrow that might be the resource that are needed in other innovations so therefore that thing we're going to store for future mining so now we need to store it so we make sure that we understand where it is so we can mine it maybe in 30 or 40 years from now
1: you mentioned your your company is from 1881 did i hear correctly
6: that's correct it started with one farmer that saw that he wanted to expand the business so it then started to transport the goods into the city of Stockholm by himself But then he went home empty, so he started to then bring back uh, then the leftovers, in this case, of course, the latrines, and brought it back and put it again to the fields.
1: You you mean the human
6: waste? Exactly.
1: (laughs) Just Uh, to make it clear. Exactly.
6: But at that time, that was pretty clean. That was just, that was not that toxic. Today we have a problem because everything that comes out of us and everything that comes out from the industry, they end up in the sludge. Today, we are the biggest, uh, uh, in Sweden, we are the biggest nutrient supporter to the society. We're bringing back most nutrients of all companies back to the fields. But now, what we're now targeting is uh, by chemical engineering, reverse chemical engineering, can bring back the resources on an element level where we take away all the toxin. And now we're target- targeting really the global market, especially the mega cities, because the problem is that now, now the cities, number of big cities are growing. But the food is not produced in the cities. It's produced somewhere else. So transporting nutrients out again will be a hard challenge. And we have the solution for that.
1: Per Larshans has spent the last 10 years giving talks all over the world, urging businesses to change their attitude from competitive to
6: collaborative. The problem is that we need to do it in a large scale. So it's not just that you, I, I can't sort out the phosphorus atom out of my poo, I need to make it on a large scale. So therefore, normally, you can't even do it in one country. Or if you do it in one country, you need to take the whole country. Therefore, we work together with, Cop- with the city of Copenhagen and, and uh, to create this partnership. So Biofoss, that is the, the city of Copenhagen's so uh, wastewater plants, we are both working with them, both on the phosphorus, how to, how to set up the plant, uh, but also the, the nitrogen. So we, are, we believe that going forward, to solve the problems, we need to do it together. Together with the private sector, but together also with, with, with the public sector. So collaboration is the key factor going forward. And, and in that case, I would also like to address the importance when we create circularity, it needs to be on each national's agenda. So collaboration is the key factor, and collaborating between nations.
0: We think that uh, the Nordic countries can offer many interesting solutions and we wanted to do this together also because we complement each other and we work together a lot as the Nordics. And then we see that, for example, Sweden can partner up with the Netherlands and we can work together and then we can take it even further. So it's not just about selling Swedish solutions to the Netherlands or bringing Dutch solutions to Sweden, but also looking how we can collaborate and then bring our joint solutions to the rest of the world. So it has a great potential and that's why we wanted to organize this.
8: We have quite some challenges, to put it mildly, but we believe that Circular Economy is a solution. It's a business model with tremendous sustainable spin-off and that's very inspiring for everybody in the world, developing and developed countries. My name is Van Eyck. I'm the CEO of Holland Circular Hotspot and we want to make Circular Economy happen at the international level. 20% of packaging can be replaced today with reusable packaging. If we really work together, we can create the conditions that Today, 50% of packages can be recycled with an economic model behind it. Circle economy is 20% technological innovation, 80% social innovation. It's about trust. Uh, Lots of companies are afraid uh, for the future. They know that business as usual is not an option, uh, but they don't know exactly uh, what their future will be. And Circle economy is one of the few, let's say, models which offer a solution to the future. So they start to want to look, invest in it, uh, and then they realize that if they want to go circular, if they want to have a future for themselves, the only way is collaboration in the value chain, is a system approach, which they cannot do uh, themselves. So if you don't do anything, you will belong to the loser. So you have to open up, you have to look at your value chain or to your ecosystem to look for new inspiration, and then you build your new future. AgroFood. From farm to fork, there are plenty of opportunities. We can even, towards 2015, halve the greenhouse gas emissions in uh, in the agro-food chain. Uh, Cascading. Waste for one is resource for another. So there is lots of value uh, to be had. Uh, Again, it's the age for entrepreneurs, also in agro-food. Now, if I had time, I would show you the construction cycle or the textile cycle, for which we have similar stories. But what I want to say, circular economy is really happening today. And it's happening here, in the Nordics, in the Netherlands, but it's also happening in Vietnam and Ghana, uh, in South America. Front-running businesses, like we have seen before, they are doing it.
4: What surprises me, or what strikes me, uh, on a venue like this, is the total engagement. And uh, the room is filled up to its walls, by uh, corporate people, by diplomats, by uh, uh, decision-makers. Uh, it's so inspiring to be in a room like this, seeing the entity and circularity as a whole.
1: Following the Dutch example, Catherine Barth set up the Nordic Circular Hotspot.
2: Catherine, how do you see Nordic Circular Hotspots going forward? Uh, I see it might
4: uh, take a little bit of time to get sort of the rhythm uh, because often in collaboration it's like you want to find your uh, som- your, your, your lookalike. Uh, the Nordic countries are not alike at all, uh, so we have mm-hmm. to find our differentiator. And I think the complementary uh, understanding that it's not what's in it for me, but what's in it for you, that might be a little bit attitude changing. But uh, as you, you mentioned, all the global meetups, we need a Nordic meetup, a mm-hmm. local meetup. Uh, I admire how our Finnish friends has really grown up and become the superstar of the global circle economy. We really miss them in Norway. But we're too small, and we were pretty ignorant at the time the, the, this happened in Finland. So we're trying to, like, sort of learn. And, but also, uh, maybe Norway got its feet on the renewable energy, which is a very lucky situation that most, hardly any country can can benefit of. So and also the traders of the Sweden and the echo heads of Denmark, it's like I really see that we should start getting projects together. And this is actually, uh, be aware of the instrument of Nordic innovation, which you cannot do this alone. Uh, if we are to work with the Nordic innovation instruments, we have to find a mate in Sweden or in Denmark or in Finland or Iceland. And it's really uh, very rare that this is pushing uh, collaboration. And I think we should really invest and investigate in those projects and really learn to see what evolves when we do this together.
8: I would say uh, it's just like a circular economy project. Be very pragmatic if you wait for perfect situations that you've lined up all the regulators. Probably we're doomed. Uh, So (laughs) the Dutch say learn fast, fail fast, but go ahead. Make steps, start having these discussions. Don't wait, take your agendas and make this meeting uh, while we're here all together.
2: And also from the general point of view, what all of us are always looking up to when it comes to Nordic countries, it's how close to the nature you kind of grew up. And it seems like it's really a value embedded directly in in a lifestyle uh, of Nordic people. Uh, Whether we're talking uh, Sweden or Norway or, of course, Denmark, or whether we're talking Finland, uh, it seems like... um, Very often the habits are really embedded and this really helps to create a value that's uh, really, really important when it comes to building circular economy and the business models around that. So there's definitely a lot of inspiration uh, for the Netherlands and for the whole Europe and pretty much like uh, for the whole world. Is there anything else you would like to share as a concluding remark?
4: I agree about the lifestyle uh, having knowing resource, resource is core for us uh, wherever we come from but there is another issue and we are we must understand we are among the highest consumption nations and societies in the world so much greenwashing and circular washing going on, and we don't have time to do that. We have to be honest about the consumption and look ourselves in the mirror. So this is really a circular economy will come sooner or later. I hope it comes sooner uh, because it has to, but the consumption is really, really uh, one of the elephants in our room.
2: Who else has a question? Please, do we have a microphone? <laughs> and if you could indeed please tell us who you are and who are you also asking the question to?
7: Yes, yeah, she's sitting there. Uh, it's Sarah, uh, if it's allowed. Uh, <laughs> I'm Jasper yeah. Cole. I'm an <laughs> entrepreneur in Amsterdam and uh, 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 currently working on energy, f- in the field of energy transition. Um, who is your favorite opponent in this field? Sarah. Wow.
5: Um, opponents. I think we are trained officials not to uh, use that language and to uh, to go into uh, enemy kind of language. But uh, perhaps I can refer to what my boss often is saying. It's not so much opponents, but what he's afraid of. He says, like, on climate change, on biodiversity, on our Green Deal um, challenges, he's not so much afraid of those who are negative, he says, or... Deny. So that's that's really a minority, but we should be careful for those who feel paralysed, who thinks that nothing is worth it anymore. uh, It's gonna we're going down the drain. The planet uh, can't be saved. So we need the optimism and seeing opportunities, and that's what a lot of uh, well all of these businesses here are seeing. (laughs) What you are probably as an entrepreneur are seeing. So that is very important uh, because. The the opposite of that, just uh, standing and watching and giving up. That that is really the opponent, I would say. So don't stay indifferent and look at it. Uh, take responsibility and go for it and believe in it. And that's uh, that's what we're trying to encourage. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Credits to Franz Timmermans. <laughs>
0: So it has been a very inspirational afternoon. I think it's been all about, you know, now let's just make it happen. And I loved what uh, uh, Andrea Orsag, our moderator today, took from the presentation on where we are with regards to circularity, because the circularity gap report was saying that only eight point something of the world is actually circular. And she said that's a 90% opportunity. And this is how I think you need to see it. We cannot change what has not happened in the past, but we can use this as an opportunity to really go for change in the future. And that's what we want to do.
1: You've been listening to Swedish Brains, the podcast about Swedish personalities, priorities and values, brought to you by the Swedish Embassy in the Netherlands. This podcast is produced by Captains, digital media and creative production agency, with report and edit by Eliana Mayer. Thanks to all speakers at the Nordic Talk Circular Economy Summit, and thank you for listening.